What's up, guys? Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast, presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez, with me, Arif Dean. Another summer edition of the podcast here, and it's a, a rainy Sunday in the summer. I think I love that kind of weather. I don't know. How you doing today, Arif? I'm doing well. I uh, it's It's getting to that weird part of the year where every single podcast has taken off. Every single free agent has signed, except for Nazem Kadri and Hockey Mountain High, so we're chilling. Yeah, I mean, hey, what else do we have to do on a Sunday night? I'd rather talk <laughs> hockey than do a lot of things, so why not Why not knock it out? And yeah, off-season podcasts usually have to start with some sort of lame conversation like the weather, right? Yeah, we're, uh, we still got to get our third game of ping pong in. We usually play one game per year, but the weather hasn't been nice to us lately. It's been weirdly cloudy. What did I say? Ping pong. Yeah, I meant tennis. Yeah, ping. I mean, ping pong, I'll destroy you any day of the week. But tennis, that's something where it's a little more competitive where, you know, you can you can actually beat me here and there. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to leave that. <laughs> the listeners don't want to hear us bicker over who's better at ping pong. But um, <laughs> let's, let's get into some off-season talk. Like you mentioned, Nazem Kadri still waiting to sign. I think that's just what everybody's waiting on right now. Um, I guess just lightly, you know, we don't have to get too much into it. We've gotten a into it pretty in depth the last few weeks but I guess your speculation on a what's taking so long and b what the uh, ultimate result's going to be um it's it's going to be one of it's going to be the avalanche or the islanders and the islanders were still my prediction if you remember but the day before free agency began that was a team that I had thought would sign them um and the islanders this was a joke that was made I forget which podcast made this joke, but so Lou Lamorello, we all know the way he does things and he keeps things kind of close to the vest to the point where during the draft, if you remember, I don't know if you remember this, but during the first round of the NHL draft, Elliot Friedman had tweeted that the Canucks and the Islanders are talking. There's something happening there. And the idea was that JT Miller was going to get traded to the Islanders. Well, Lou Lamorello has a rule. If he's working on something and that something gets out, he doesn't do it anymore. So he's very close to the vest. The uh, Whatever trade that was happening with the Canucks, which many speculated were was to be JT Miller, didn't end up happening. JT Miller is a center. Nazem Kadri is also a center, which is weird because they have a lot of centers. Then the second reason why I think the Islanders are still in this is because last year, on the first day of free agency, I don't even know what day it was, July 28 or whatever, there was speculation that the Islanders had signed Zach Parisi and two other guys. This is fresh off of his buyout with the Minnesota Wild. Well, the contract wasn't announced. That was July. All of all of August went by. Most of September went by. And then like a week before training camp, the Islanders announced Zach Parisi signs a contract, person X, person Y, person Z. It was like three or four UFAs that they signed last year that were re-signed and signed. So the joke that was made on the Elliot Friedman podcast was Jeff Merrick saying something along the lines of maybe Lou Lamorello has Nazem Kadri's contract signed already, and he's just not going to announce it till the day before training camp. So we'll see. I think back to uh, I remember you and I sitting there at Ball Arena when the Islanders were in town playing the Avalanche during the regular season. Um, exactly when in the season, I don't really remember, but if, if you remember you and I were sitting there and the avalanche were kind of laying it to the Islanders and we kept looking back cause Lou Lamarillo was sitting in that press box with us and he just had this scowl on his face. Right. And you <laughs> kept making the joke, you know, about how Devon Taves, he's, he's mad that Devon Taves is here and that Devon Taves yeah, scored two goals that night, I believe. Yeah, exactly. The Avs fleeced him for Devon Taves. Well, it kind of feels like, you know, with how angry he looked that day, maybe this is just a his way of trying to get back at the avalanche for taking such a good player from him. He says, Hey, I got to I got to win this battle over you here and maybe even the score a bit. Well, fun fact about that, that night was hilarious because like the Islanders would score a goal. You look over at him, same face, the avalanche score a goal. It's Devon Taves. You look over at him, same face penalty on the abs. You look over at him, same face. I like just this, this death stare, no matter what was happening, positive or negative for his team. But, uh, you know, fun fact about Nazem Kadri, the six-year contract, $4.5 per year, do you know who he signed that with? Toronto? 
Oh, Lou Lamarillo. I yeah. see what you're saying. You, uh, I got you. Exactly. Yeah. Lou Lamarillo <laughs> was the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs when he signed that last deal. So I think I said this on one of our previous episodes of trying to figure out where the hell Nazem Kadri is going to go. I said there's a, there's a bit of a sense to me of Kadri calling up Lou or Lou calling up Kadri and saying, hey, I know I got you on a six-year deal making league not league men, but league average. And, you know, you were underpaid on your last contract. So let's make do and let's make things right. So there's a sense of that. There's also a sense of, yes, you know, Lamorello wants to get somebody back from the avalanche finally. And then there's also that sense that, you know, if if they were in on JT Miller, which is really strange because Brock Nelson's a center, Matt Barzell's a center, and they have like the perfect third line center and John Gabriel Pajot. So like somebody would have to move to the wing. I think Kevin Kurz wrote about it at The Athletic that, Either Brock Nelson or Barzal would move to the wing if they bring in Kadri. But I don't know. It just seems like a very – it seems like it makes sense, but it also seems like it doesn't because the Islanders aren't in win-now mode. And I know they went to two straight Eastern Conference finals, but they did it with Barry Trotz, and they did it with a team that kind of had found – you know, had lightning in a bottle, and they just don't have that anymore. So the most obvious thing to me would be Nas coming back to the avalanche. But, you know, at this point, given the way that the market has gone – I can't see the Avalanche offering more than maybe five years, and I can't see them hitting more than six and a half. Yeah, I was going to say, in those five minutes, you didn't bring up Colorado once. It was pretty much all New York Islanders. So it, it kind of well, yeah, sounded yeah, like— I, I said it's—yeah, it's, because it's, it's either Islanders or the Avalanche to me. Right, that's, it sounds like, and it. it sounds like you're coming to terms with, with you know the fact that it's more likely that he's gone, and it sounds like in your head the, the odds have shifted a bit. I don't I don't want to say the odds have shifted. I just think that here's here's the reality is if the Islanders want to make a play for him and give him big money, he will go there. If not, then he's at a point where nobody wants to give him big money. Nobody wants to give him big term. He's going to the avalanche. Every other team that was potentially in the running for him seems like they're out of the running now. You know, the, the two teams that I was worried about when everything started were the Red Wings and the Rangers. And when they noticed that Nazem Kadri was going to take his time, they both dipped into the market. The Red Wings got Andrew Kopp. The Rangers got Vinny Trocek. The Calgary Flames, that's somebody everybody keeps talking about. But I keep going back to the case that, like, if he wanted to go to Calgary, he would have signed by now because they have the cap space. And boy, are we going to talk about that big trade involving the Calgary Flames a little bit later on. But um, I, I just... Seattle Kraken, same thing. If if they have the money, they would have got him by now. And they went and acquired uh, Bjorkstrand from the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they've kind of capped themselves out. So it just looks like you're running out of teams except for the Islanders. So if the Islanders give him the big money deal that he deserves and he wants to kind of cash out one last time in his career, he'll go there. If nobody's willing to give him the big money deal, he's going to have to sign for something a little bit more conservative. It's going to be the Avalanche. So it's kind of in the Islanders' ball, uh, the ball is in the Islanders' court right now, and it kind of just depends on what they do. So, like, I, I can't say either way if it's going to be if he's gone or not. It just seems like those are the two scenarios that make sense at this point. Like, nothing else kind of really clicks. Yeah, and in public he can say, you know, oh, it was nothing about against Calgary when I vetoed that trade last year. I just didn't want to leave, or not last year, but when he when he left Toronto and he vetoed that trade, he, he basically said, that, oh, it was nothing against Calgary. I just didn't want to leave. And now with him not having signed in Calgary, considering their cap space, it seems like there's definitely something he's holding against Calgary. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking like, oh, well, the longer this takes, it seems like the better the uh, Avalanche have, the better shot they have at, at re-signing him. But now it's to the point where, okay, now the longer it takes, the more doubt I think creeps in my mind. And the more we analyze it, the less it makes sense for the Avalanche, it seems. It just seems like at this point, like it's it's hard to predict it's so hard to predict trades have been trickling in slowly but surely another team by the way really quickly that i had was a little bit curious over was the national predators they went out and signed nino niederreiter two years eight million so they they got another piece added to their forward group he's not a center but he does have a four million dollar contract and that's you know salary cap that could have been used toward cadre so i just think at this point it's gotten to the point where like it's just it's hard to predict it's hard to really understand what's happening and why this is being held up is it lou lamorello like i make a joke but is it lou lamorello doing the thing where he just doesn't announce contracts right away like that's a legitimate thing zach parisi's contract was was announced in september the dude signed it july 28th everybody knew about it july 28th um so is it a matter of that is it a matter of the Avalanche are still looking for a trade and they don't know who to trade. Is there another team that's trying to trade someone? Like 
the reality is, as much as I want to sit here and say no other team makes sense, we just saw the Florida Panthers trade Jonathan Huberto. So maybe there's a team out there looking to trade a player that we're not thinking of even being the remotely a possibility for someone to trade. I don't know, Winnipeg and Mark Shifley, like that's someone who's been on the block, but I just don't see Kadri going to Winnipeg. But just like an example like that, someone you're not thinking of, maybe someone else is trying to move someone, or maybe it's the avalanche with Comfer, with Gerard, or I don't know, Eric Johnson, or really anybody at this point. Seems just like Nazem Kadri's luck to be held back so much by teams and the salary cap, right? I mean, yeah. finally gets a chance to get paid and, and deserves to be, you know, deserves the uh, raise at least. And here are, here are teams not being able to really afford just throwing him the big raise he deserves. So unfortunate for him. But that being said, there's still a lot of free agents out there on the market, Arif. I guess so what are some of your favorite storylines to follow with the free agents that are available? And, um, you know, we're, it's offseason time, so speculate away. I mean, the, the defensive version of Nazem Kadri is John Klingberg. He's still on the market. He still hasn't re-signed. And the longer this goes for him, the more I think, hey, maybe he does return to Dallas if they make a way to, you know, to make the cap space work over there, which would be hard for them. But, like, Nino Niederreiter finally just signed. Uh, P.K. Subban's an interesting name. He's still on the market. There's just quite a few names out there. Sonny Milano is a good, a good player. He's still on the market. There's quite a few names out there that should have NHL contracts, but in a flat cap world, the money's not there. Like there are more people eating up a bigger chunk of the salary cap than there are players whose contracts are expiring and are retiring. Like the longer this goes with the flat cap, the more eight, nine, ten million dollar contracts are signed, the less money there is for the middleman. You're either a superstar or you're making a million. Yeah, I mean, you bring up P.K. Subban, and, and I think that's the maybe if you look at a couple of those free agents, it's a, it's a similar situation where he's just simply not worth the money he was getting paid anymore, right? And you, you if you're P.K. Subban, you're like, well, I don't want to take much less, especially if it's significantly less. So I guess looking at P.K. Subban, he's really not that old, still in his early 30s. What do you think happens with him? I mean, where does he start the regular season? Because it doesn't seem like teams are exactly chomping at the bit to sign him because he has declined in his play. He's super expensive. Um, I, I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts towards Subban? Seems to be the top of the I, list. Coming out of an eight-year contract for $72 million, I don't think he's going to be expensive given the way his game has dropped. I think he's going to be the kind of guy that's going to sign for about a million, million and a half or a PTO closer to training camp. So wow. similar to when the Avalanche, yeah, that's that's all it's going to be for him. I mean, his game has dropped off immensely. One of the other storylines to me that's really interesting is Phil Kessel because last year Kessel had, I think, only seven goals. It was kind of a bad luck season, but he had 40-something assists. So he's still a good player. The thing is that I think scares a lot of teams away is the fact that Phil Kessel is like 15 to 20 games away from breaking Keith Yandel's record. Whoever signs Phil Kessel... You have to play him. You remember the Keith Yandel story last year. You remember Philadelphia being forced to play him until the day that they didn't, which was really silly looking back, until the day that they didn't, and that was the storyline. So anybody that wants to sign Phil Kessel, that's why the Avalanche wouldn't. Because if you sign Phil Kessel, he's going to be like, you know, Nicholas Abe Kubel and, you know, the guys that they had in and out of the lineup. And you just can't do that with a guy who's got this, you know, Iron Man streak attached to his name. There's a defenseman in Anton Strauman. There's another one in Calvin DeHaan. Obviously, Nazem Kadri is there. Uh, I already mentioned Sonny Milano, Brett Connolly, Paul Stastny still. You know, Paul Stastny last year had 21 goals and 45 points. He's probably looking for a 2 to $3 million contract. Uh, Cody Eakin is still a free agent. Zach Aston Reese, uh, Kyle Turris, Johan Larson. Just so many names that are out there. Tyler Mott, he was a big free agent acquisition. Um so many names out there and just not a lot of money to go around. Evan Rodriguez, 19 goals, 43 points last year for the Penguins. He's still an option. He's a centerman. So I, at this point, again, the longer this flat cap thing goes, the more money is being put into the system without anything coming out of it. It's, it's choking the life out of what's left in there. It's, it's $82.5 million multiplied by 32 teams and a number of which are not spending anywhere near 82 and a half. Yeah, and unfortunately the market has spoken, right? If this, if these players were highly coveted, they'd probably have a deal at a number that they like somewhere. But now the longer that they wait, 
it's much like the real estate game, right? The price drops start coming, the price drops start coming, and then eventually there's a taker at, at the right price. But it's about, you know, finding the right place as well. You don't want to just take any offer that, that comes your way. You want to make sure you're in a good fit for yourself too. So it's going to be interesting to see how these uh, other free agents pan out, especially, you know, all those names that you dropped for sure. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing here is, Look, if the salary cap, if if COVID hadn't happened in a world where COVID doesn't happen, the salary cap is nine or 10 millions more than it is already. Because with the ESPN and the TNT deals with Seattle coming in, we saw what Vegas did. Like the season before COVID, the salary cap went up 4 million. So if the cap went up 4 million in the summer of 2019, it probably would have went up 4 million in 2020. It probably would have went up another 6 million in 2021. It probably would have went up another 2 or 3 million in 2022. So we'd be looking at a salary cap right now of about 95 million, but we're at 82 and a half. So that's why we saw players like Petrangelo signed for 8.8. Johnny Goudreau didn't even get 10, you know, pre-COVID Jack Eichel was getting 10. So there's a lot of players that their story is going to be written and the amount of money they made or missed out on is going to be written as them losing money because of COVID. And that brings me to teams. There's one team in mind that I think of every single day where, you know, if they continue to fail, which at this point, who knows the salary cap going flat and COVID this once in a lifetime thing happening and ruining the money in the NHL has ruined their ability to plan for what they had planned for is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because when they signed Tavares and Marner and Matthews to all these big contracts, they were under the impression that they would have $95 million to spend in 2022. Well, here they are, 82 and a half, scraping the bottom of the barrel, trying to find goalies and defensemen making league men. So players, teams, everybody's kind of had to shift their focus. I think the Avalanche were right at the perfect timing where they had guys locked up to reasonable dollars. They were able to lock up Kelmacar after COVID. Same with Landeskog. Here comes Kadri now. Same exact thing. Pre-COVID, you'd probably be making a lot more. With COVID, with a flat cap, the money's just not there. Well, and think about the leap it would have taken this year too, right? After the new TV deals and how successful it all was and how many records they broke in terms of uh, viewership, right? So I think that it could have even taken a much more bigger step than expected. But I, I laugh at the idea of you maybe just brushing your teeth every morning and thinking like, ah, those poor <laughs> maple leaves, what are they going to do? It's, you said you th it's a I'm, thought that comes through <laughs> your mind every day. <laughs> it comes through my mind often. It's the fact that, this guy, Kyle Dubis, who, you know, you can agree with a lot of what he does and disagree with a lot of what he does, but this guy had a plan to kind of shift the NHL to more of an NBA-focused league where you pay, a league where you pay your, your main guys a large number of the salary cap and they run the show with the idea in mind that, like, look, when you sign, let's use the Avalanche. When the Avalanche signed Miko Rantanen to a $9.2 million extension, that was, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, that was, let's say, 8% of the cap. With the idea in mind that three, four years down the road, Miko Renton's making 4% of the cap because the cap keeps going up and his cap number stays the same. Well, now the Avalanche have to shift and adjust because that's not the case. That's the reason why we've seen, uh, we that's the reason why we saw Darcy Kemper move on and then go to Alex Georgiev instead. That's the reason why, you know, it's the most minimal thing, but it's the reason why Nicholas Abe Kubel wasn't given a qualifying offer because we can't give this guy one and a half million. We have to go out and sign our Darren Helms and our Coglianos to one two five. We have to go out and you know maybe Jack Johnson signs for a million eventually. We cannot afford to give this luxury of a twelve, thirteenth, maybe eleventh forward one and a half million. It's just not something you can do at this point. Well, and then you throw in Ben Myers, and that that added a whole twist into it, right? Because he couldn't play in the playoffs, so you had to have a body in there somewhere, and that was Obey Kubel. But now that Ben Myers is a go and you know next playoffs he will be ready to play you don't really need a guy like Obey Kubel so Ben Myers kind of fills that role for you um anything else you want to get out free agent wise before we take a quick hard turn uh no that's basically it I I scrolled through this list quite a bit and uh some intriguing names still on there but I'm sure I'm sure a lot of them will end up on cheap contracts maybe the avalanche will bring in a guy or two I mean 
I don't know. I was just thinking about, a, a, you know, if they do ultimately make that Sam Gerrard trade and Jack Johnson still isn't signed, why not give P.K. Subban a chance? Wouldn't you rather have P.K. Subban than Jack Johnson? I, you I can think afford I both. If you Look, if you trade, here's the reality. Let's let's get into this. And, but do you want both? I mean, yeah. You saw how many injuries they had last year. I mean, the, look, the reality, the reason why I said it would have been nice to have Abe Kubel is not for him to take over Ben Myers' spot. It's when you're two, three injuries deep, you're not playing Dylan Sakura or some guy from the AHL. You're playing NHL which we saw during the playoffs. I mean, during the playoffs on defense, this team was fortunate. They had one injury, and it was Sam Girard. They never had to go two injuries deep. Curtis McDermott didn't play a game. Like, how shocking is that, that the second defenseman on the list as an injury replacement never played? Sam Girard went down game three against the St. Louis Blues, and it was Jack Johnson and the same six for the rest of that series, the rest of the Oilers, and the rest of the Stanley Cup final. But right now, you're in a situation with the Avalanche where, like, you know, I don't have the depth chart pulled up ahead of me, but, you know, let's say Kadri does resign and Comfer stays and, you know, they do something with the defense to make the cap work. So you're going to have your third line of Comfer with Myers and Newhook. Your fourth line is going to be Cagliano, O'Connor, and Helm. And then who's your 13th forward? Is it Curtis McDermott? Is it Jacob McDonald? Is it one of those two guys that are both center and wing? Because you lost Burakovsky. You lost Nicholas Abe Kubel. You don't replace him with anything. So that's the thing. Yeah, you, you brought it up last podcast, right? I think that's where you kind of dive into the Eagles and, and you know see how Martin Kaut has developed, see Sample how Sampo Ranta. Ranta maybe fits. Um, I thought that was the perfect thought process because it's like, yeah, that's the cheap and easy route while you could focus some money maybe elsewhere. There's one name I keep forgetting to mention, and I promise I'll eventually remember to not forget, is Lucas Sedlak. Remember when the Avalanche signed him? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's a guy. He's a 29-year-old that he was part of the Columbus Blue Jackets team and another one of those guys that Chris McFarland and Jared Bednar are very much aware of from the Columbus days and the Lake Erie Monsters days and or Cleveland Monsters, whatever the hell they're called. Same with Sonny Milano yeah. too, right? Yep. That's a name you've thrown around a couple times, and that's a name I really like. Yeah. I think he's got a lot of skill. So here's the thing. Here's the thing to remember. So like the Avalanche right now, they got about four and a half million dollars. Uh, let's just say for argument's sake, Kadri takes six and a half. You have to clear two million. If you trade, if you trade Comfer and clear up his three and a half, you've now cleared up the two million for Nazem Kadri, but you still have an extra one point five to play with to replace Comfer. So you can use that 1.5 to go out and sign. Milano's not a center. Let's say Paul Stastny says, I'll take 1.5. But you don't need it. You don't need to get stuck on a center. They have so many centers that you can interchange, right? Like Luton, you got Newhook, you got O'Connor, you got true. Nico yeah, Ranton yeah, yeah. can, can even can slide. Sign, yeah, I think, you can sign I think Milano. you just find the best player. You can sign, you Mil- you can you sign Milano and play Milano with Newhook and uh, Myers, for example. Yeah. So, but like you, And there's yeah. two centers on that line right there. Exactly. Bingo. Yeah. And and you still, and, and you know, I just mentioned Lucas Sedlak. He plays the center and the wing. Cogliano plays center and wing. Darren Helm, the entire regular season wing. Stanley Cup playoffs, centerman. Like, that's a guy who's going to be locked in that fourth-line center role now. So, yeah, there's plenty of things. And and Gerard makes—it always intrigues me about the idea of trading Gerard because if you trade Gerard, I'm assuming you're going to get a player back, if not only picks. Like, would the Avalanche trade for only picks? Maybe because they don't have picks anymore, so they can use those picks down the line for other assets. But let's say you clear up Gerard's $5 million without bringing anything else in. Well, now you have $9.5 million. Kadri takes six and a half. That leaves you with three million. You have three million dollars to fiddle with for defense. You can sign Jack Johnson for a million. You can trade for another guy, you know, who makes two million. You can bring in an extra depth forward. Still keeping Comfer, still keeping Newhook, still keeping Kadri, and still bringing an extra depth guy like Sonny Milano or whoever. Where it goes right back to the Abe Kubel situation, where you have thirteen NHL capable regulars fighting for twelve spots every single night, which is a good problem to have. I agree. Cool, cool. I like how I ask you if you have any more thoughts towards UFA. You say no, and then it leads to another five minutes. It's just, look, the reality is there's there's a conversation to be had about the Avalanche's depth chart, and I'm so excited to break it down, but we need to fucking know who the second-line center is. Is it going to be Newhook and Comfort, or is it going to be Kadri, or is it going to be Paul Stastny or someone else? So Or Miko Rantanen. Or Miko Rantanen. And they just stand pat. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, seems like the most obvious thing. If Kadri doesn't sign, it seems like they'll probably— shore up the depth. I still think Paul Stastny is someone that would make sense as a second, third line option. Um, I also think that Sonny Milano would just, we'll see, but you got to figure out what the hell Kadri is going to do first. But the fact that the Avalanche haven't moved to those other options yet, this is not a team that waits. 
The fact that they haven't moved around to those other options yet means in their mind, they're still in the running for Kadri. They still freaking had Ryan O'Reilly on their roster when they traded for and signed Carl Soderbergh to a four and a half million dollar contract. Like the writing was not just on the wall. It was like in the sky for O'Reilly. It was one of those planes coming by. We're trading you like as soon as they got Soderbergh. So this is not a team that waits. So I think they still believe they're in the running for Nas and they're still focused on that. They have not moved on. I would even add, not only do they think they're still in the running, but if they lose, they already have their plan B ready to go and most likely they, they you know, have to. secured. They have to. Exactly. Yeah, this is a smart team. They just won the cup. They, they have to have something figured out. And then for my hard turn, like I said, um, I want to get into the Comcast altitude stuff. The latest news there was simply that there isn't any news. They're still at a stalemate. No agreement's going to be reached here. Um, and it just seems to be... A lost cause, it's starting to seem like. I mean, how many years have we been dealing with this? And here we are still several years later with not even an inch of ground in progress. So I guess just your overall thoughts on that debacle. So I'll try to talk about this as much as I can without sounding ignorant, because the reality is I don't know much about the situation. But what's the channel where the Rockies are on? Sport or uh, AT&T, AT&T Rockies or something? Sports? I don't, I don't Whatever know. it is, yeah. Because again, I'm yeah, I'm not like I'm that. not a regional sports guy in Colorado. <laughs> I I'm more you know in tune with like Fox Sports Detroit, which is now Bally's. But um, my prediction, my out of the blue prediction, is the Avalanche will not be on TV again here in the local market as long as Altitude is owned by Cronky Sports. Either they're going to have to merge with that AT and T Sports, whatever the Rockies channel is, and become a kind of you know you you view your team on a channel that you don't own which i prefer or we're going to one day have a valley sports denver i don't like the fact to be honest with you that the avalanche own the the channel that they're on and that's no disrespect to anybody that works there it's just not as good a product when you have valley sports in florida and valley sports in detroit and all these other places that are not connected to the team there's a little bit of a different twist where you can call out players. Again, it's just like media. When the media is not connected to the team, when the media doesn't work for the team, there's there's a different level of an expectation of what you can talk about. And that's not to say that the altitude, like, look, Rycroft and Keefe throughout the entire 16, 17 season, and even after that, like, they are not afraid to call out guys that make, you know, when, when Rycroft pulls out his telestrator, he is not afraid to call out dudes that turn the puck over, that do things differently. But the reality is, for a channel that's owned by the team that views games and then nothing else, and even in the summer months, think about it. In the summer months, there's no basketball. There is very little Rockies games, which are now, I think, on on Apple Plus or whatever because the MLS has moved on, so they've even lost that from Altitude. They don't have baseball games in the summer. What do you watch on Altitude? It's all reruns of like Avalanche inside the locker and then paid programming. They haven't done a good job of filling that channel with things that people want to watch, which is what Comcast's argument is. So until it's owned by someone like Bally Sports, this you know bigger company, or someone like you know what used to be Fox Sports or or AT and T or whatever, Comcast is never going to agree to something unless Cronky dishes out a lot of money. Which at that point, you may as well sell the channel. To somebody else because that will make you more money than losing money doing what Comcast wants. Right. And then it, it becomes a spiral, right? Now, Altitude, obviously, probably not as profitable as they'd like to be. And suddenly they can't quite pay for the talent that they'd like to have, right? I mean, we've had some talented people come through Denver and they never get to stay very long because there's always bigger and better opportunities out there for them. So it, it, it's making the product suffer as a whole. You're right. I mean, like you said, that's no slight at any of the guys that work there I I enjoy all of them especially in person Um, but yeah I I think it makes more sense I mean that's what it used to be like before Altitude was around is we had Fox Sports Rocky Mountain and on there you had the Nuggets you had the Avalanche you had the Rockies all on the same channel and that seems to make more sense because of off seasons right you you, you can actually get more viewers when all your sports are on one channel I mean it's it's just common sense I mean the the baseball factor is a big thing you don't have the Rockies playing on Altitude that eats up your entire summer schedule. So even that's yeah. not there. And, and mainly because there's no competition, right? So people do watch baseball as boring as it is. They're like, ah, oh, well, there's nothing else yeah. on. I guess I'll watch the Rockies tonight. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of the thing right now. Like, I think Altitude TV started, 
I believe it was the 0506 season because the way that I gauge it is when you when you go back and look at replays and highlights of the Todd Bertuzzi thing uh, in 2004 with Steve Moore, that was Kelly and McNabb on Fox Sports. You know, Fox Sports. Yeah. So they had a Fox. You guys had a Fox Sports Rocky Mountain the same way in Detroit. There was a Fox Sports Detroit. Same way there's a Fox Sports Atlanta and Florida and et cetera, et cetera, which was now purchased by Bally. So had Altitude TV never come into existence, we would have a Bally's Rocky Mountain right now and they would be the one kind of you know, handling this and they would have figured it out. So that's my prediction. That's not me taking any sides. That's just given the way that the, av- the avalanche, you know, they answered back and they said, you know, we want the deal. We're willing to do the deal that you guys did with so-and-so and Comcast answering back with, we're going to have to charge every single one of our customers a monthly premium, which they're not going to want to pay because no one wants to watch your channel because no one's interested in it, which let's face it, aside from avalanche and nuggets game, there's nothing interesting on there. Again, it's all reruns and paid programming and just a blacked and, out channel. And Scott Hastings golfing. Yeah, so <laughs> so exactly. Couldn't be less interested. So that's just the reality given Comcast's stance on this, even after the Avalanche won the cup, given the fact that having them on their channel, on their list of channels could help them, given the fact that viewers will come in and watch Avalanche games. Um if it's gotten this far, it's not going to go anywhere. That's that's my my prediction. It sucks because I now live in this market, as you know, and as the listeners know. I don't travel to every road game in the regular season, if any at all. So it affects me as much as it affects anyone. But that's my prediction. It's 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 not going to be fixed until Altitude is no long is no more or is no longer owned by Cronky Sports and Entertainment. And again, with the spiral point that I made, unfortunately, it's been so long that. There are other options out there, not only ones that you can buy, but ones you can do illegally. And I think everybody's figured out what all those options are and are ready to move to those options because they've had enough. They feel insulted and they feel uh, just kind of betrayed by, you know, both sides, both sides. Yeah. Um, Did you hear that motorcycle drive by? Did that get in the recording? I wonder. I'm I'm here (laughs) recording with my windows open because I love the rain and I love the The smell of it. The smell of it. So hopefully that motorcycle didn't didn't make the show, but... (laughs) So um, my sister's in town and she's downstairs talking to God knows who. So I'm hoping that it's not picked up in here. That would be hilarious. Well, it's the half time mark of our show. So I'm going to get a, take a quick second talk about our friends at Superbook and Total Beverage. And then we're going to get into some Central Division goalie talk. This is off-season conversation at its finest. <laughs> but first... Since it is the off-season, that means summer is here, and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Along with that football note, uh, you know, obviously I'm not much of a football guy. If you've been listening to this show, you've you've got that through your head. But the offseason is a perfect time to start looking at futures bets, right? The NHL, you want to start looking, what are the abs looking like to win the Central again? Because I think that's a good bet, especially when we get into these goalies here and you'll see the competition that's out there. So, you know, go to Superbook, check out some of the NHL odds, check out the futures bets, you know, maybe even look at Kale McCarr to win another Norris or, you know, his name's been floated out there quite a bit for the heart for next year. So, wouldn't be a bad take. Wouldn't be a bad take for your money. And then, of course, we've got our friends over at Total Beverage. But everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right, Erv? Did you know that they have not only curbside pickup available, but they also do online wine education classes? And they also have an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. And, Erev, they do delivery. I mean, what's better, right? Nowadays, I use Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever just because I'm too lazy to go to Chick-fil-A. Well, you could do the same thing for your booze. So why not do it? Um, Sounds like a no-brainer to me. So get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Damn right. that double that double dip of advertisement sounds like me talking about the most irrelevant thing while you're staring at me going when's he going to finish his point. Right, I'm just sitting there like, "All right, make 
I'm repeating my next point to myself over and over and over and over so I don't forget it. And then sometimes While I, I still forget. While I take seven turns to the left and the right. And, and you're like, just hey, like, remember crap. that first thing you said? Let me make yeah. a comment about that. Let me, yeah. <laughs> 19 minutes ago because you wouldn't shut up because you don't know how a conversation works. Um, but I'm going to take another hard right. I got to get your opinion on this. And I want to talk about this for like two minutes before we move on. Come on, dude. The Matthew Kachuk, Jonathan Huberto trade, like... How fun was that? How cool was it to see the NHL? And I know we're the go-to Avalanche podcast, but how fun was it to see the NHL have an NBA-style trade? The idea that Matthew Kachuk wanted out of Calgary, and it's been known forever. When the Avalanche traded O'Reilly, they got stuff. When they traded Matt Duchesne, they got stuff. This trade was a superstar that had 104 points for another superstar that had 115 points, a defenseman that probably would have made Team Canada plus a first rounder, plus a prospect. That was so fun and so ballsy by both GMs. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was nice to see a splash, right? When we're here kind of talking about how slow the free agency has kind of gone, you know, unless you're in Columbus, it's kind of been rather boring so far. Um, and yeah, to, to have a impactful trade like that in the NHL is awesome to see because usually it's one team getting hosed over the other, right? Usually there's a clear winner in a trade and a clear loser, one team that's clearly going for a rebuild, one team that needs to acquire a little bit more players to make itself a contender. Well, here you just have, yeah, a, an even trade, and you have a, a great player going to a, a solid team that needs some work, and then you have another great player going to a, a rebuilding team, right? So obviously you'd rather be Matt Kachuk going to Florida Going to the winning team, not having to that's, pay taxes that's a J, anymore. That's a JJ bias. <laughs> going to Florida is always the winner. Yeah, but then um, you, you look at Huberto having to go to Calgary. Not not a diss on Calgary, but look at where their team is at right now. Obviously, not setting themselves up to I be don't, winners. See, see, again, that's the thing. The Florida Panthers adding a defenseman of of Mackenzie Weegers type and bringing in Jonathan Huberto, which I don't know if you saw the standings and points last year. Connor McDavid won, Jonathan Huberto two, tied with Johnny Goudreau two. Both had 115 points. So they got rid of a guy that had, well, not got rid of, but they lost a guy that had 40 goals and 75 assists and replaced him with a guy that has 30 goals and 85 assists and Jonathan Huberto replacing Goudreau. The problem is they don't have a replacement for Kachuk, but they also have this shiny new toy in Mackenzie Weger. Weger is basically the Avalanche's version or the, the, the Florida Panthers' version of what the Avalanche have with Devon Taves. That second defenseman that's just burst onto the scene and has become so good. Devontae is a better player, and that's not a bias. That's just a reality. But Uyghur is right up there. He would have made Team Canada. So the way that I look at it, it's an interesting trade because Kachuk is 25. He's joining the Florida Panthers on a long-term deal, eight years, $9.5 I feel like they gave up a shitload for him. Like they genuinely did. But both of those guys that they gave up are one year away from UFA. So now the Calgary Flames are kicking the can down the road with two more guys in Uyghur and Huberto who might walk as free agents next year. Or if you're smart, don't fool me twice learning from Goudreau. You now have two pieces that you can still be competitive with. You can still play strong with. You still have Lindholm and all these other guys, Minjiapan and et cetera. But if these guys aren't going to resign, you trade them, you get even more for them, and you've kind of recouped the assets from losing Goudreau for free and Kachuk walking all in one while adding a first rounder and a prospect as well. Yeah, I just don't see them taking a step forward after that. I mean, Matt Kachuk was kind of the heart and soul of your team. Johnny Goudreau had been there for so long. He was kind of the face of the team for a while. So um, I, I don't see how you can get better after that. But I could see down the line how, you know, they might reap yeah. the benefits for a while of this while Florida, you know, maybe not so much. But I mean, 25 years old, a millionaire moving to Sunrise slash Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. He's, he's living a dream. Yeah, so my my whole argument isn't that they're going to be better. It's that they can they they're still going to be competitive now with these guys. Because if you traded Huberto the way that the Avalanche traded O'Reilly or the way other teams trade their stars for you know bits and pieces and parts, um, you would have ended up with you know a couple of third liners, maybe a second liner, a pick, a prospect, a this, a that. Well, no, you're adding Jonathan Huberto to your roster. You're adding Mackenzie Weger to your roster. Those are automatically two of your best players on your team. So they're still going to be competitive. They're not going to lose both Goudreau and Kachuk and replace them with spare parts they've now at least replaced them with a 115 point forward in, in Huberdo and one of the best defensemen in the NHL in Mackenzie Weger as well as having more cap space to go out and do other things like you know sign Kadri if he would have wanted to go there he would have by now but um maybe Paul Stastny maybe Sonny Milano whoever the hell else Evan Rodriguez I keep forgetting about him um 
So pretty, pretty cool. Pretty fun to see that trade happen, uh, especially late on a Friday night. What a news dump, what a trade, and, and I hope to see more of those in the NHL. Let's get into the goalies. Yes. We've got we've got essentially 16 goalies to discuss here. We're going to break it down by team, right? We're going to rank each team in the Central Division's goalie tandem. So you got to take both the goalies into consideration. Can't just say, oh, well, one's really good. The backup's not that good. I think they're first, right? So let's take them. Full disclosure, full disclosure to our listeners. Sometimes we we do some homework and research beforehand. We've done none of that. We haven't discussed anything. We don't have our orders. We're literally winging it. All we've done is write down the two goalies for each team. So yeah, with that being said, how do how do we approach it? Do you want to just go boom, 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 team by team and talk about each goalie, or do you want to just start ranking them right out of the gate here? So let's start by this. Give us a spiel of all eight teams and who their two goalies are, and then we can probably pick eight and seven right away because there's two teams that are rebuilding that come to mind. So let's do that. All right. In Arizona, we're going in, in a, I guess, alphabetical order here. No, no, we're it's not. Kinda, it's kind of We're just going. Whoever yeah. came to Air's brain first. <laughs> Arizona, we got Carl Vamelka and John Gillies. Chicago. Peter Mrazek, Alex Stalock. Keep in mind, a lot of these are new, right? A lot of these yeah. have been shifted and weren't necessarily even close you to You just this listed last year. four goalies. Three of them were shifted, and the fourth guy, half the NHL, still has no idea who Vimelka is. Right. And here's another here's another shift. Nashville, UC Saros, and Kevin Lankinen. As we all remember, Kevin Lankinen wasn't in Nashville during that first round. What happened class. to David Riddick? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out, won't we? Um, Colorado, of course, Alexander Georgiev and Pavel Francouz. Another shift there. Dallas, Jake Ottinger, Scott Wedgwood. That was a shift that happened at the trade deadline when Arizona sent Scott Wedgwood to the Stars. Minnesota Wild, Marc-Andre Fleury, Philip Gustafson. Two shifts, essentially, there. Of course, the trade yep. deadline and offseason. And then the Winnipeg Jets, Connor Hellebuck and big save Dave Riddick. Big Dave save, as I like to call him. <laughs> yep. So that being said, a lot of new faces in the Central Division when it comes to net minding. I guess, first, how does that impact teams, if at all? Do you think teams have to adjust, acclimate to their goalie? I mean, we saw Darcy Kemper take a while to acclimate to his team. Is it the same mindset working backwards? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, it's we heard Eric Johnson when he was talking about how it takes a little bit of time to get acclimated to your new goalie. and communicating with him having the defense communicate with their new goalie and then for the goalie's side the same thing so part of um, me thinks i skipped the blues did i skip the blues oh you did yes jordan bennington and and thomas grice yep so they got rid of Vili huso to detroit and then they went out and signed detroit's old backup in thomas grice so Th- thomas grice obviously has never really you know <laughs> done anything amazing in the nhl but i think i'll always remember him for the for the world cup Right. When he was there in Team Europe, he was doing some big things. And yeah, that's when I I was like, all right, maybe Thomas Grice does actually have some talent. He was in Pittsburgh. He was in with the New York Islanders. He went to Detroit. He's he's been around the block and he's always there. He's like Yaroslav Halak. He's always there. He's always putting up solid numbers. But you're just like. And wasn't that the duo? It was Grice for a little bit. It was Grice and Halak both in the Islanders and on Team Europe. That's true. Yeah, that is correct. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) the goalies that's where you shine um so yeah let's i guess let's get to ranking these guys i mean i think at first glance nobody really stands out as a solid one-two punch except for maybe colorado and dallas to me yeah so i want to start from the bottom let's start from the bottom because that's going to be a less of a conversation the coyotes and the blackhawks are at the bottom and my hot take is the blackhawks are worse even though john gillies is not an nhl caliber goalie uh, who was it again? Peter Mrazek and, and Alex Stalock. And Alex Stalock. Uh, two guys that are kind of on the the opposite of the up and up. They're on the down and down. <laughs> and uh, at least the Coyotes have a guy in Vimelka that there's some promise there. That's that's the only thing that I'm using to say that the Blackhawks are lower than the Coyotes and the goalie tandem. Well, I think Peter Mrazek, you can argue that there's some talent there too, considering what he used to do with Carolina. But perhaps that's just a more of more of a testament to what Carolina was doing in front of him, right? Because I remember thinking when he was doing well in Carolina, like this goalie isn't that good. Why is he so successful? Yeah. But of course, as we saw with the Colorado Avalanche, the goalie, the defensive unit, and the forwards help prevent goals, not the goalie by yeah. himself. 
And the funny thing is, Mrazek had a terrible first season in Toronto coming off that brutal contract they gave him. Three years, 3.8 per year, just like a nonsensical move by Kyle Dubas and his team. But he was still 12-6. and six. I think he had an 888 save percentage, but he was still 12-6 and because that's what happens when you play for a good team. Well, now he's playing for a team, and I know we're not taking the team into account in these rankings, just the goalie tandem, but now he's playing for a team that has gotten rid of Kirby Duck, that has gotten rid of Alex Debrinkit. They are doing everything in their power to tank, and they had so few guys under contract and so much cap space that in order to reach the cap floor, they had to sign uh, Andreas Athanasiu and uh, who was the second guy, Max Domi, to $3 million deals. So that's where we're at with the Blackhawks. They also have Tyler Johnson coming off of an artificial disc replacement, making $5 million, and then nothing else. Obviously, the two guys at the top, it's just Peter Morazic's going to struggle, man. He's going to struggle badly it, with this team. And last year, you know, we didn't really know much about Vimelko, but we saw him come out and have some pretty good nights, right? Yeah. And it was like, wow, who's this guy coming out of nowhere and shutting out some teams and winning the Coyotes some games there? So uh, I'm with you. Let's put Chicago 8, Arizona 7, which brings us to number 6. Now, number 6, you look around, and I think you might have to give that to Nashville. Uh, I don't know. Where are you at at number 6? At number six, look, I it's it's not me being St. Louis. I already yes, know where you're going. It's not <laughs> me being biased, but think about it. UC Soros, Jake Ottinger, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, who's the other guy? Oh, Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck. That leaves Jordan Bennington and Thomas Grice. Bennington, who had a terrible regular season and then kind of came on in the playoffs before getting uh, uh, purposely injured by Nazem Kadri and causing him to throw a water bottle that he rightfully deserved to throw. Uh, and Thomas Grice, who had a brutal season in Detroit. And the Avalanche, who had Pavel Francouz, who had a great regular season once again, helped in the playoffs. And Georgiev, who is kind of a mystery box and... I know Blues fans are are probably, if Blues fans were listening to this, would be like, you're out of your mind. We're not taking the rest of the team into account, so it's probably Georgiev at six and then the Bennington thing at, at five. But I'm going to go with the Avalanche at five and the Blues at six strictly because, actually, maybe the Avalanche at five, but the Blues at strict six strictly because Thomas Grice doesn't give you what Pavel Francis can give you. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at that second goalie. I think that's really where the the X factor lies here in in the sixth position. I don't know. I I would not put Colorado so far. I don't. Yeah. I I know Georgiev is a bit unproven and didn't really have the prettiest stats. But looking at that second piece in Pavel Francouz, I'd rather have Pavel Francouz than Tomas Grice, Philip Gustafson, even David Riddick, and of course the the two in Arizona and Chicago. So. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to give Colorado five there, but I do I do agree. Neither am I. Neither am I. I do agree St. Louis six, and I think I'm gonna throw Minnesota at five because Bingo. of that's why. Because of Philip Gustafson just doesn't doesn't do it for me. Marc Andre Fleury, I mean, we know what he is, right? He's he's a legend in the game, but is his game on the decline? We haven't seen him do those things in a few years. So that duo in my mind is number five. Yeah, I would say that's a good that's a good idea too. Gustafson didn't have good numbers with the Ottawa Senators last year, but he does have promise. He he's a player that can burst onto the scene. He's a player that it wouldn't surprise me if he's suddenly the starter, you know, at some point if Flurry is starting to take a dip. So losing Cam Talbot really affects what Minnesota Wild had in a tandem. And that's why I'm willing to say that they are number five. Um which brings us to the top four of three teams with really good goalies in UC Soros, Jake Ottinger, and Connor Hellebuck, but very underwhelming backups. And the Avalanche, who their starter is not at that level or even close to it yet, but a much better backup. Yeah, so that being said, I'm going to throw Nashville at four. I think, obviously, UC really? Soros. Uh, UC Soros is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But Kevin Lankinen, I don't think... Remember, we're looking at the big picture here of the duo, not just the the strength of one and one. So I think, yeah, I'm going to stick with it. I don't know. Do you, do you hate it? Do you, do you want to push back on me? Or are you like, all right, I could see that. I was willing to say that Kevin Lankinen was the... Dark horse? Best of those backups. Really? I mean, would you take David Riddick? 
would you take? Yes. Well, I mean, Scott Woodward's at the top, but I don't know. I The way that I see it with Nashville is Hellebuck hasn't had a great season in a couple years and uh, is more of a reputation pick. And UC Soros was a top three or four netminder. So even if Kevin Lankinen is as good as David Riddick, I still want Soros ahead of Hellebuck today for my team. I'm not sure I agree with you there, but it seems like we're both kind of on the same page where I think Winnipeg, for me, is going to be next, and for you, it feels like Nashville. So it looks like three and four, we can kind of interchange Winnipeg slash Nashville. Yes, I, I, I would say that. See, again, it goes back to my thing with Connor Hellebuck last year. He was 29, 27, and 10 with a 9, 10 save percentage. In 2021, in the in the very bad Canadian division, he was 24, 17, and 3 with a 9, 16 save percentage. Uh, those are not as good as what UC Saros' numbers are and uh, how good he was for most of the season and the fact that, you know, he's, you know, he was 38, 25, and, and three. He had four shutouts. He was a 918. He was a 927 in 36 games in 2021, 36 out of 56 games, that is. So um, Lincoln and Riddick, whatever, I do like today. Like right now today, if I had to pick a goalie to start a team, I would go Saros over Hellebuck. Um, but yeah, I would say three, four is reasonable for those guys. So then obviously we've got two and one, and I'm probably guessing that we're going to have the same two and one. I'm putting Colorado at two. I like the combination again. And I think Pavel Francouz is almost, if not equally as good as Georgiev. So therefore it's just the stronger one, two punch. And I like the Jake Ottinger, Scott Wedgwood at one. Um, yeah. So here's where I am. I, here's what I would say. And you're going to think this is, given the debate we just had at 3-4, Dallas for sure is one because Wedgwood has been exceptional in that backup role everywhere he's gone and in Dallas as well. Uh, Dallas one, Nashville two, Colorado three. So again, Hellebuck to me is is reputation at this point. Kind of reminds me of John Gibson where he's had too many bad seasons in a row where you got to have to get him out of that team in order for him to be better, I would say. But UC Soros, like... How many Look, goalies in the NHL had better seasons than UC Saros last year? Look one. at the amount of games he played. Uh, Vasilevsky, Shosturkin, Markstrom. Is there anybody else on that level? Okay, but I just don't know why you believe so much in Kevin Lincoln. It, well, who's the competition? I mean, look, the reality is if UC Saros is playing 65 to 66 games, that's more valuable to you than Georgiev at 45. So how much, and again, the Avalanche are going to finish higher in the standings. Uh, Georgiev will probably have a better save percentage than Soros, which fun fact, Darcy Kemper had a better save percentage than Soros last year too. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking strictly goalies and their value. Um, Kevin Lankinen playing 15 games isn't going to matter as a backup as much as Pavel Francouz probably paying 35 to 40. But then you look at win percentage, and I think that's what's going to matter. Yeah, sure, the, the team in front of him affects him, but I think Pavel Francouz will get you a better win percentage than Kevin Lankinen. No, 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 of course, of course. But Kevin Lankinen's only playing 15 games. Yeah, no, I get that, but so I if, mean, we're if, looking at packages here. Yeah, exactly. We're looking at packages, but if you're playing UC Soros for 65 games, or 67, we'll say, and he goes 40, 20, and 7. Who gives a shit if Lankinen goes 5-10? and 10? Your starting goalie won you 40 games, is probably up for the Vezina, had an exceptional season, probably put up nine shutouts. So if, if, if Andre Vasilevsky was in the Central Division and I was his backup, you're saying that's still the best goalie tandem in the Central Division? It kind of feels like that's the argument you're making. because No, 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 no. Here's, here's a better idea to look at it. Your top two centers are Nathan McKinnon and JT Comfer, or... Your top two centers are Nazem Kadri and the clone of Nazem Kadri. Would you rather have a one and a three or a two and a two? Well, I'm, I'd rather have the I'd rather have the superstar and then lightly use the number three guy than have two guys that are just a okay. And Kadri's not just a okay, but you get what I mean. The star power always trumps all for me. No, no, I get that, and but it, it kind of seems like you're taking the conversation to just ranking goalies individually, and here we're talking about the duo. And I, I, I get what you're saying, that when, yeah. when UC Saros is taking 80% of the games, then he carries 80% of the weight. 
But I'm saying if you just look at the package as a, you know, well, yeah, 50, if you just 50. look at, well, yeah, then what? You, you see Saros goes down, and then Lincoln, and suddenly, you, you, suddenly that goalie duo drops to your eighth. Bingo. Yes, that's another thing to take into account. But you know, obviously, look, if we're talking about the duos, uh, pull up the NHL 23. Holy shit, that's going to be the next year we're in already. Uh, EA Sports game. And, you know, let's say Georgiev's an 83 ranking and Fransuz is an 84 or something like that. That is going to be a better average as a duo than Soros at 90 and Lincoln in at like, I don't know, 72. Yeah, of course. But my whole argument is exactly what you said. If, if your goalie's playing 67 games, like Marty Brodeur and whoever the fuck was playing 10 games was always better than any, you know, combination of like let's say the red wings when they had vernon and osgood just because like vernon and osgood both shit on whoever brodeur's backup used to be but brodeur played 75 games so like who cares who the backup is he can go one and six and brodeur's still winning you 50 games so that's kind of the idea that i the the argument that i have here is knowing the workload uc Saros is going to get which I'm not even going to get into the discussion of if a goalie should be playing 65 to 67 games in this day and age, given the fact that he got injured literally at the most inopportune time, probably because of playing so much hockey and then having big save Dave and uh, who's the other guy, Connor Ingram, you know, going up against the avalanche. So the thing for me is, is the star power of UC Soros playing 65 ish games is going to be the second best goalie in this, in this division tandem in this division uh, behind what is easily the best in Jake Ottinger and Scott Wedgwood, and then me and Andre Va- me and Andre Vasilevsky are up there too. Yourself and Andre Vasilevsky would be literally right up there because Vasi would look at you and be like, "All right, I'll take eighty games. Give him the two against the Blackhawks." I'm just here for the bubble gum. <laughs> I'm just here to play the Blackhawks <laughs> and, and the bubble gum. <laughs> I just got that reference. Uh, right on. Well. I don't know. I don't even know how to end a a conversation like that. It's just up in the air. Who knows? I'd love to hear other people's feedback, what their rankings are, especially those people out there that consider them goalie experts like myself. Yeah. So here's what we got. We got Arif says Dallas 1, Nashville 2, Colorado 3, Winnipeg 4, Minnesota 5, the St. Louis Blues 6, the Arizona Coyotes 7, and the Chicago Blackhawks 8. JJ says... Dallas 1, Colorado 2, Winnipeg 3, Nashville 4? Yep. Winnipeg 3, Nashville 4, same bottom 4. Minnesota 5, St. Louis 6, Arizona 7, Chicago 8. Tell us who you guys think is correct. Hit us up on the Twitter. Let us know who you guys think has the better top 8 ranking for the Central Division goalie tandems. Love it. I love it. Let's get that interaction. Don't be afraid. Can't wait. Don't be shy. Can't wait. Can't wait for Georgiev and Riddick, or not Riddick, and Saros to both get hurt, and then it's Lankinen and whoever the hell, and Fransuz and Eustace Andonen. And Lankinen and- finds his way into the All-Star game. Yeah. And if we get <laughs> if we get two injuries deep, I only mention this because we went through the entire free agency recap episode without mentioning his name, playing for the Avalanche once again, the other JJ, Jonas Johansson. JJ Jerez's favorite. <laughs> I can't believe they brought him back. It's so strange. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And I'm happy his name's not in there, right? Because at this time last year, he was the option. He was plan B because yeah, still well, waiting on Pablo Francis to make Frankie got hurt at Frankie got hurt in the preseason and the whole clean juice thing that happened when I saw him there the next day. And lo and behold, the avalanche went with Kemper, who had a terrible start. And Jonas Johansson was his backup. And Kemper, who couldn't keep a skate blade on his skate, and Jonas Johansson taking over games for him. Yep. What a season. What a year. What a ride. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. We'll see. We'll see. But hopefully, uh, you know, for the Avalanche's sake, the, the goaltending tandem that they're planning with is the goaltending tandem they use. I would hate to have to see Jonas Johansson in some games. Give me some Eustace Annan in, though. I was going to say, I would love to see number 60 get in. Yep. Yep. Right on. Well, we got to get out of here for this Sunday edition. We got things to do, lives to live, people to see. Um, so, yeah, that's my show today. What's what's your, What are your closing thoughts? That is it for me as well. We are 
going to forever continue to wait on the domino effect that will come with the Nazem Kadri decision mm -hmm. unless the Avalanche like other teams decide to move on and make their moves but we talked about it there's a lot of big names out there once the Kadri shoe drops we will see people turn elsewhere I still think the Avalanche will sign somebody Paul Stastny Evan Rodriguez whoever Sonny Milano pick your guy but we'll see it all depends on what happens with Nas and July 24th 11 days into UFA still nothing it's never Colorado's style to stand pat so I'm with you I think we yeah. expect at least one more transaction here or there but yep I guess uh that'll do it thanks everybody for hanging out with us this week and uh hope you're enjoying the pop the uh, off season as it's not gonna last much longer the season will be here before we know it so thanks so much for hanging out if you made it this far in the podcast bless that pretty little heart of yours let's make hockey for everyone we at you yeah.